mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. We're going to be beginning in verse 1 this morning. I believe John 6 is the longest chapter in the New Testament. I did not go search that out. I've seen some in Matthew that were long, but I think John 6 is the longest chapter. And um, by way of review, if you'll remember with me, and I don't want to spend much time, but Jesus was speaking to the religious authorities, those that are accusing him, those that want to kill him. They have their arms crossed in front of him, and, and they're mad at him because, he, they, according to them, he broke the Sabbath. He, 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 is, he has uh, violated it by telling a man to take up his bed and walk. And so in their pharisaical hearts, they see a man on the Sabbath day carrying his burden instead of a man that had been ill and sick and lame for 38 years walking and so how do you look at things when you see things going on do you look at a person's life and you go look at what they're doing there or do you look at and see what they're not doing anymore see because we're all in different stages of growth as we come to sup at the table of the lord and so sometimes it's better to look at what they're not doing anymore than what they're actually still doing and you have to be careful with that because that's not giving people permission to be in sin. And so Jesus rebukes them and he says, You search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. And so listen to me. When you get into the scriptures, look for Jesus. On this side, we know who he is. We know he's the Messiah of God, the Mashiach. We know who he is. He's anointed. He's the Savior of the world. He testifies against them that they were not willing to come to him. Is there going to be a day in your life of your soul that Jesus testifies that you were not willing to come to him? See, that's, that's what really matters in the eternity. Did you come to Jesus? Not did you belong to this church or that church or do this or do not do that. Did you come to Jesus? Because Jesus said, oh, you are weary and heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. You can rest if you come to Jesus. You don't have to work anymore for the salvation of your souls. You don't have to do anything else. But if you truly come, that amazing grace will transform you to where you want to enter into his work. You want to rest from your works and enter into what he's doing. And what is he doing? He's saving souls. And if you truly come, you'll desire to be concerned with the souls of other people. And not just with selfishness. Not just with yourself and sin and Satan that this world has to offer. They, they prided themselves 
in reading the scriptures and knowing the scriptures and telling other people what to do about the scriptures. But as they read them, they missed Jesus. They missed what God was doing to save the soul of mankind. And they thought it was a rule book instead of a book of the heart of God and what he was doing to save the souls of mankind. Someone has said when the man of God looks into the word of God and sees the son of God, he's transformed by the spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. Are you looking for Jesus or are you looking for a handout? Are you still looking to have the things of this world and you think that God is going to give them to you when you're not looking to have a love relationship with him? I'm going to church so that people will be happy with me. Oh boy, my wife will be glad if I go to church. Man, if I go to church, I'll be pleasing to God and God will give me all these things. Why, why are you coming to church? Have you come to Jesus? He closed uh, chapter 5 with this statement. Verse 46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Listen to me. Everything written in the Bible is about Jesus. Everything that Moses ever wrote was because God gave him life. God gave him breath. God gave him revelation. God told him what to say. God called him out of Egypt. God chastised him when he tried to deliver the people. Remember that? God, Moses tried to deliver the people of Israel on his own. And he couldn't kill one Egyptian soldier without getting in big trouble with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh caused him to flee. And where was he at for 40 years? Under judgment. And he was on the backside seminar. He's in the desert. And he ends up getting a wife and a couple children. And then he has the burning bush experience after 40 years of God taking the world out of Moses. And Moses out of Moses taking everything that he thought he knew and all the strength that he had, God humbled him to a place there in the backside of the wilderness where he seen a bush burning and it wasn't consumed. And he said, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. And he took off his own walk. That's what that's referring to. He took off his own life. He took off what he wanted to do. And he humbled himself. And he said, go to my people and tell Pharaoh to let me. He goes, hang on. Here I am. Send Aaron. See, before he was strong, he had strength, he had might. He said, I'm going to go deliver him in the power and the might of my flesh. What Pharaoh has taught me in the world, I am strong in my pride. And he kills one Egyptian soldier and has to flee. But then, as he goes in humility, with all of himself taken out, everything that he ever learned in the schools of higher learning of Egypt, trained in Pharaoh's house, all removed from him, he goes in humility and God delivers and destroys the entire nation, all of Egypt, in the Red Sea. Now, why is that, why is that important? When you read that text, that testimony, they were all baptized into Moses in the Red Sea. Wait a minute, God was doing the work, but he gives Moses the credit. They're all baptized and identify with Moses, who is one drawn out, because they followed Moses through the Red Sea, the opening that God made. 
And these people say, oh, we, we're reading the Bible and we're telling everybody how to follow it. But then Jesus comes, which is who the Old Testament scriptures testify of, the foundation of the house, the builder and maker of the house, God himself in the flesh, and they're ready to kill him. And, and, and you know, you think, as a church, we think, man, what was wrong with them people? Listen, we do it today, every day. We have culturanity, what we call church, and we, we call Christianity. And, and, and it, you know, we were talking about it the other day, we've talked about it many times. If somebody like John the Baptist came to us and said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, we'd go, do you see that crazy guy? He needs to be on some psychotropic medication. We need to put him inside someplace and lock him up. That crazy guy's got locusts hanging out of his mouth. He's got wild honey flowing down his beard. He ain't had a bath in 20 years. Think about the gospel. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. We're the ruling authorities. What's that crazy guy in the wilderness out there doing? Preaching, repent, change your mind. You're following the wrong person. You're not going to be drawn out of this world following church or culturality. You have to follow Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Have you come to Jesus? Or you just come to church? Because if you believe Moses, that's what he wrote about. That's what he was an example of. He was a type of, he was a picture of Jesus leading us out. We're baptized into Jesus. We come out of Egypt. That's the world. We come away from the devil. He has no authority over us. That's Pharaoh. We go through a wilderness. That's where you're at now. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. This is a great and mighty wilderness that we're going through. And God will provide perfectly in the wilderness. He did for the children of Israel. You know what they did? They doubted. They threw a fit. They said, we don't want any more of this worthless bread. They grumbled and complained. They didn't have their eyes fixed on Jesus. You know what happened to them? They all fell dead in the wilderness except for two of them, Caleb and Joshua. The only two that ends up going in when they're 80 years old. Because they didn't have their eyes fixed upon believing God, following Him, being in the way with Him. It's God's Word. Everything that Moses said, everything that's in this Bible, are you studying this Bible? Are you spending time with it? When you do, you spend time with God, the living Word. He makes it alive. His Spirit makes it alive. This is not work. This is an enjoyment. Think about it. If you said, are you spending time with your spouse? Oh, it's too much work. Well, then you're not having a relationship. You're not having intimacy. You're not growing in, in like-mindedness. It is work. Marriage is work. When you take two people in different houses, grew up different ways, both of them have their own opinion, both of them full of pride and full of sin and self and Satan, full of their own ways, and you try to put them in the same house and you think sparks ain't going to fly? Oh my goodness. But when you have them both looking to Jesus first, God first, that relationship changes. 
when you're dead to self and you're looking to make your spouse the, the, the better of the two, the best wife, the best husband, when you're looking to help them fulfill their calling according to God, that relationship changes. It's no longer mine, mine, mine like little bitty children. We grow up, we mature, we begin to say, I want my husband to be the best leader, the best provider, the best head of the house. And so the wife starts to, to do those things to make that happen. See, and I'm talking about marriage because the church is marriage. And so when we begin to obey and try to lift Jesus up and make him look better to other people because of how we live, they see the light of Christ. He's already made the church perfect, spotless, a, a, a chaste virgin betrothed to him. Now the world might not see that, but he sees you as perfect. The world might not see that, but he loves you. The same way the husbands are supposed to love their wives. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word. Why? That he might present her to himself a spotless and clean church without wrinkle or any such stain. That's his inheritance. We get Christ and he gets us. Ooh. Really? He died for us. He loves us. He came for that purpose to lay down his life for you and me. And he already knew who we were. He already knew that we were adulteresses. He already knew that we were idolaters. He already knew. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing thing. He's not looking for you to perform anymore. He's looking for you to surrender and be washed and cleansed and be clothed as a chaste virgin and look more like him so that he can walk arm in arm with you. And you can be light to a world that's dead and dying and needs life. And they're all looking right now for somebody to lead them. They're all confused. They don't know what's going on. And they're looking for somebody to lead them. And here comes the Antichrist. Instead of Christ, here comes the Antichrist in place of Christ. And many people are getting ready to turn to him. Many are following him and think that they're following Jesus Christ. Because he's a liar. He has lying signs and wonders. He's a pretender. He provides what the flesh wants, not what the soul wants. He provides, he's given everything to everybody. You don't have to work for nothing. Does that sound familiar? But it's a fleshly battle. Now over here in the spiritual battle, you don't have to work for nothing because Christ already did all the work on the cross. See how easy the two fit together? Instead of Christ and the real Christ. Antichrist in the flesh, it feeds me. I get to take care of every sin and self and Satan that I want to deal with. And Antichrist over here, there's some death. There's a little bit of obedience. And there's a road map to keep you from following self and sin and Satan. There's a road map to keep you from following the government that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. There's a road map to keep you from following the fleshly, worldly desires. Because the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. This roadmap is this Bible. 66 books by 40 authors, all inspired by God. Men that were listening to God. And as they wrote, they didn't know what they were writing to you down the ages. 
They didn't know that, but they were obeying God and doing the natural. And he did the supernatural. He's made it alive. He's made it so deep that the, that the smallest child that can read can read it and understand it. But then the deepest theologian can't comprehend it completely unless the Spirit of God reveals it. But then he's given us a little clear instruction. Look for me. Find me. Seek me. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. I just had that on my chest. So, thought I'd get it off. I'm teasing. Do you believe the writings of Moses? Do you believe the Old Testament? If you do, you'll believe Christ's words. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. That's his words. I know them and they follow me. But there's many. I, I, my brother texted me yesterday. He said that uh, there's believers... There's non-believers and there's make-believers. So, which category do you fit in? Are you a believer that wants to hear his voice? You want to be intimate with him? You want to have a love relationship? You want to follow and be led by his spirit? As many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. Are you a non-believer? I don't, God's never done nothing for me. I'm mad at God. I don't want to hear him no to God. Or are you a make-believer? Oh, I dress like the church. I got a Bible. I carry it around. But I don't know what it says. And, and, and I ain't going to follow it anyway because I'm too full of myself. I'm too stuck on myself. I'm doing my own little thing. I'm okay over here because I know he's there. And we got a little deal going on that I'm just going to uh, wait until things get real bad. And then maybe I'll cry out to him. Are you a believer, a non-believer, a make-believer? It's a pretty good sermon. We could do a whole sermon on that. Listen, you can believe all of his word. His promises are true. He's coming soon to take the church home. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll be with him always, and we should encourage one another with these words. He's coming soon. It's the purifying factor of the church. The reason that we are being adorned as a bride and continuing to try to do his will for his glory is because he's coming soon like a thief in the night. At any moment, he could show up. Are you ready? The proverbial message that if, if you were told that tomorrow he was coming, what would you change in your life today? The answer should be nothing. If you're a believer, the answer should be nothing because you're already doing exactly what he called you to do. You're already doing exactly what he called you to do. Because if not, you're being disobedient. If there's things in your life that if you knew he was coming tomorrow, you should get out, then you should get them out today. You should repent today. Clean your house so that you're not left behind. Chapter 6, we are going to see the feeding of the 5,000. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 recorded in all four of the Gospels. It sets up the discourse that John alone gives on Jesus being the bread of life. It also sets up the discourse 
on the make-believers. What, Greg? The make-believers. See, this is the longest chapter in the Bible, and I feel like the Holy Spirit allowed man to do this like this so that you could have verse 666. 666. Six is the number of man. The perfect man, or the number of the beast, is 666. And in that verse, it says, after Christ is going to call in his discourse over the bread of life, he's going to call for commitment. He's going to call for them to believe him and to follow him and to commit their life wholly to him. And the testimony of the chapter 6, and we're going to talk about this more than once. Look at 666. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That's why we have that many verses. Because man, without commitment to God, following God and trusting in him fully, that's what the word believe means, pistio, to entrust, to commit your spiritual well-being into Christ. But if you're not going to commit to him, then eventually you're going to become a perfect man who is going to reap the rewards of hellfire. You're going to take the mark of the beast. You're going to worship the beast instead of worshiping God in spirit and truth. There's only two places to worship. At the altar of God where you're surrendering, being led by the spirit, or everything else is at the altar of the devil. And people are marked by what they worship. How they worship. 666. And he says to the boys, will you go away also? His 12. And they said, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Is that your commitment? That these are the words of eternal life. And we have come to know that you are the Mashiach of God. I should probably read that, shouldn't I? Is that what it says? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know, not just believe, and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then what does he say? Jesus says, yeah. Did I not choose you? And yet one of you is a devil. Listen, this is the most important thing that we can understand in the Bible is that without the surrender, we can con ourselves out of salvation. Without the commitment, we can be Judas who are going through the motions, casting out demons, doing works and miracles in his name and get to heaven and he say, be away from me, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness and wickedness. Christ chose the whole world. Listen, he died for the whole world. But many don't choose him. And again, non-believers, they don't choose him. Believers, they commit, they follow. They choose his word. They trust his word. They know it's the words of eternal life because of the spirit of God that comes in and dwells in them. But then there's make-believers. We have to be very careful. That's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Your flesh will deceive you. And that's why we have the word of God that clearly defines. We have the spirit of God that clearly reveals. We know our own heart. People beside us don't, but God does. 
And we do, because he reveals it to us and gives us every opportunity to sit down and sup with him at the table. Chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread, that these may eat? But, these, but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those who were sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Let's pray. Father, pour out your spirit and help us to understand this sign, this miracle, this uh, feeding of the 5,000. Help us to comprehend it, Lord. Help us to receive it with meekness, your implanted word for the saving of our souls. And help us to go and do likewise. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. John... 6 1. After these things, meditata. It's really it's, it's an amazing thing because it's the same words that start Revelation chapter 4. Meditata. After these things, he tells John, the revelator, to come up here. John uses this term here. After these things. This is about salvation. Listen to me, people. Meditata. Chapter 4 of Revelation is the rapture of the church. We have the same phrase here. The true church is going to follow. He's coming back to take them home. The great snatching away. It's a transition statement. So is chapter 4 of Revelation. It's a transition where the church will be taken out and the seven year tribulation will begin. And the wrath of God will be poured out. And all the hearts of the sons of disobedience will be revealed. And that's what's going on here. It's revealing, it's proving, it's testing the hearts. And that's what God wants to do with you and I. Are we non-believers? Are we believers? Or are we make-believers? I stole that, by the way. It was a legal thief. I was a legal thief. It was a line of the Holy Spirit. So, 
Jesus, he went over, I don't want to spend too much with this, the Sea of Galilee. Galilee means the heathen circle or the circuit. Uh, and it's also called three times in the book, of uh, twice here and once in uh, Revelations. Jesus, or John's the only one that uses it, Tiberius, um, which is from the Tiber River God. Uh, which is because Tiberius was a Roman emperor, the second Roman emperor. He goes over. He's going into the world, into the thick of things. And verse 2 says, Then a great multitude, many people, a great multitude, much, large, a great company, followed him. And this is our word that we always have followed, to be in the way with so they're following him. They're in the same way with, they're accompanying him. And, and, and it means, especially as a disciple, a disciple is a learner, it's a pupil. They're saying, you're our teacher. But see, we're given more commentary here. This great many crowd is following, but why are they following? Because, conjunction. This is a conjunction. It's demonstrative of why they're following. What's the concern of them? They're following because they saw clearly with their eyes his miracles, his signs, which he performed, which is a mark or an indication of who he is. He performed. It means to make or do. He did in the King James. Here it's performed. Isn't that what we like to do? Don't we like to be entertained? We sit down on our, in our, on our uh, couches and love seats in our favorite chairs and we, we, we pick up that remote thing and we get the performance in front of us and we get to be entertained and, and engaged in and feel like we're part of and deceived by the medium of the channeling of a lie into our hearts. Listen, they're looking for a performance They've seen him with signs. See, signs do not produce saving faith. Signs don't produce faith, saving faith. Lots of people want to see signs. Lots of people want to see different things. And if I was to see it, it doesn't produce saving faith. The word of God does. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not by signs, not by wonders. We're being set up for performances. We have hearts that are geared towards signs and wonders. And, and the enemy is coming with lying signs and wonders. So that our hearts will be drawn to that instead of drawn to this one who has no comeliness about him. Word we don't use anymore, but Isaiah used it. He has no comeliness, nothing that we would desire him. It's only his word that our spiritual hearts hear his word. That's why the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't, it's not what we see. Lying signs and wonders and miracles. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but none will be given them except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of well for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. That's the sign that we need to know that he is the Messiah. He rose from the grave after he died on the cross and bought the church, paid for your sin and mine. The evidence is the cross. Of 
course, making Jonah the prophet a picture of. Listen, do you believe the Old Testament? Life out of somebody who should have been dead that was in the belly of a well for three days. So they're following for the wrong reasons because they've seen him do something for those who were sick, diseased, is the word used here, feeble, impotent folk is what it, weak. They knew they had issues. They were following to gain something, but they would not admit and repent and say, I have an issue. And when Jesus calls them for commitment, he's gonna, you're going to see it probably next week, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They go away. 666. I don't want to commit to that. I just liked what I seen there. There was a good performance. It was entertaining to me. It's not, Jesus didn't come to entertain. Churches are not about entertainment. It's about the soul of mankind. Entertainment's about deceiving you. Entertainment's about leading you to hell. This is not a playground. It's a battleground. And your soul is what people are fighting for. And if we're truly saved and following Jesus, we'll be fighting for the souls of others. And that begins in prayer. And then you go to the Word of God and you share the message of God in fellowship. And you take it to the non-believers and you take it to whoever will listen. Because it's a battleground and the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That's the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. They're not flesh. They're mighty in God. We're pulling down strongholds for casting down arguments and speculation and every high thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Therefore, you have to know the word of God to have a sharp sword of the spirit and be able to answer people as you ought to. Sorry if I get a little excited. So these people are following for the wrong reasons. They're make-believers. They are the same as non-believers. Because really there's only two classes. Verse 3, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now I see this again uh, uh, as a heavenly verse. Because in Ephesians we're told that we are seated, all true believers are seated with Christ in heavenly places. All true believers, and I'm going to read it to you. Um, I'm not going to read a bunch of it. Just, oh my goodness. See, I get there and I got to do that. Uh, it's Ephesians 2, 4. But God, listen, no matter where you is at, but God, he spoke into your darkness, who is rich in mercy because of his mercy, we are saved. Uh, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then what, Greg? Verse 6, man, he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. That's the position of all true believers. Christ is sitting with us. No, we're sitting with him. Down here, he sat with them. Up there, we're sitting with him. If we believe. 
He sits in the middle. He came and took flesh and dwelt among us. And he sat down with us. And he said, if you'll believe in me, you can sit with me up there. Why? That in the age to come, verse 7, what God is doing, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For you is workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you should walk in them. That's how we're supposed to be living. Not in our own shoes anymore. Walking in God's good works, his shoes, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, I see this as a transition verse. Jesus went up on the mountain, up on this hill, and there he sat to have fellowship. He sat with his disciples, those who were truly following, those who were truly wanting to learn and become like him and bear fruits worthy of repentance. Verse 4, now the Passover, see how he speaks of the Passover? What was it representative of? That if you had the blood on your door, Exodus 12, the death angel would pass over you. You wouldn't die. He's sitting with the ones that are not going to die. The Passover festival, a feast of the Jews, was given to them as a memorial to remember their deliverance out of Egypt, world to us, free from Pharaoh, Satan to us. We're given Christ. He was all, it was always a picture of Christ coming and taking away the sins of the world. And if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Passes over you when you're given life. Now you're not going to have the second death. So we know that by this statement here, that there's a lot left out. Chapter 5, what was it? There was a feast. We don't know which one it was, right? All adult males had to come to three different feasts. So if it was the Feast of Tabernacles, then this has been six months since chapter 5. If it was the Feast of Passover, now we've got a whole year to the next Passover, the next time it was Nisan 14, the month of Nisan. Or the 10th day, actually, they would choose the lamb, and then on the 14th they would slay him at twilight. So we've been about a year that we don't even have content. But John is giving us what he wants us to see in order that we might know that Jesus is the Christ and we might believe and have life in his name. In John 21, John actually writes this down, uh, 21-25, and there are also many other things that Jesus performed, that Jesus did... <coughs> which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So be it. Amen. Listen to me. There's a lot of things that we're not getting, but the Holy Spirit wants to testify specifically so that we will see uh, his spoken word. We will see his signs and miracles, and we will believe in his name and trust him fully. Not partially, Fully and know that he has the words of eternal life. And when he tells you to do something, when he asks you to do something, and he 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 constrains you, or he chastises you, he rebukes you, whatever he's doing is good to conform you into the image of God. It's to transform you. No matter what it is, no matter how painful, 
No matter how much the world would look at it and go, oh, that's so sad. Oh, it's pitiful. Oh, that shouldn't have to happen. See, that's what the world does in their emotion, in their flesh, in their feelings. But in faith, we say, what's God doing? What is God doing? Dare I tell you about the older gentleman that woke up one morning and there was a whole corral full of wild mustangs that came to his house. And all the townspeople said, wow, that's a good thing. You got all, all them horses for free. And he said, well, maybe, maybe not. The next day, his boy went out there and said, I'll break some of these. We'll make some money off of this. And one of them threw him, and his boy broke his leg. And all the townspeople said, oh, it's a bad thing. He broke his leg. And he, the old dude said, well, maybe, maybe not. The following week, all the other kids, all the other young men of the city got called out for the draft and went off to war. But his son didn't go to war because he had a broken leg. Listen, until you see the end of a matter, you don't know. And I use that as an analogy, even though I started it wrong. Actually, his horses ran off, and they said it's a bad thing. He said, maybe, maybe not. They come back with all the wild Mustangs, and he says, maybe, maybe not. Listen to me. Don't give a conclusion to the matter except for who Jesus is. That's the only conclusion you should come to in life, that you're, he has the words of eternal life. You're going to follow him. But even when it seems bad, you don't know what he's doing to work it out in your heart, to work it out in the people around you. And that's what we're going to see this text is really about. Jesus needs 5,000 just to test his disciples. That's pretty amazing. That's a miracle. He does the supernatural just in the natural. We better get busy. So we have this feast. It's near. It's a feast of the Jews. It wasn't, it wasn't God's feast, but although they were supposed to have that holy day to worship God, the only feast that they didn't worship on uh, was Yom Kippur. Every rest of them were celebrations. They were worship days. Yom Kippur, though, was the Day of Atonement, where they wore sackcloth and ashes and where they were sacrificing animals to pay for sins. And they recognized that somebody had to die for their sins. And that God was allowing them to cover them. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude, company, uh, same word for multitude, I don't know why the King James puts it as a company, coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Notice this, eyes are always favor. God lifts up his eyes and he shows his favor toward mankind. And that while they are yet sinners, Christ dies for them. He lifts up his eyes and he says, where can we buy bread to Philip? And, I, and it's interesting, I just talked about horses. Philip means uh, um, lover of horses or um, kind of horses. Oh, fond of horses, lover of horses. And God's preparing Philip. Listen to me. God's preparing you. See, Philip doesn't know that after the resurrection of Christ, 
he gets up out of the grave and he spends 40 days with them, Acts chapter 1, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then he tells them to go and wait. And then there's the, the, the Holy Spirit comes with tongues of fire. And, and they're baptized in the church's birth. And there's Philip. And then persecution is going to come. And God allows the persecution to come so that they will go the way he told them to go. And Philip, when he leaves, he goes down where? To Samaria, where Jesus just left, chapter 3. He goes down to Samaria. He doesn't know this yet, but God knows it. So now he's going to start testing his heart, preparing his heart to trust him by faith. And Philip goes down there and revival breaks out everybody's getting saved and then even in that the Holy Spirit says to him Philip go down to Gaza now he could say you mean leave leave this revival look at all this work that's going on God I gotta do this work no it's God's work he's the one that's saving souls What's important is do you hear his voice and you go where he told you to go? That's what's important. Not that all these people are right there to be fed. Not that all these people are there to, 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 because they're hungry. God is taking care of souls. He died for the souls of mankind. And you're supposed to be staying focused on your spiritual life and hearing his voice and obeying. Not there's a whole bunch of work. I can't go anywhere. I still remember my first sermon when I was awake, spiritually awake, was... Tom Camp preaching about numbers and having your tent pegs in too deep. See, if you have your tent pegs in the ground so deep that God says, go to Gaza, and you can't get you, I can't, that's not God's voice because my tent pegs are in too deep. I got too many things going on here. I got too much work. I'm taking care of too many people. I'm not going to Gaza. Well, what happens in Gaza? On the way... One Ethiopian eunuch that's leaving Jerusalem that, that was with Candace down in Africa. One Ethiopian eunuch is driving along, reading from Isaiah, and has no idea what he's reading. And here comes Philip, being obedient to God, and comes alongside him and says, Do you know what you're reading? He says, No, I don't know. How can I unless someone leads me? So he come up into the carriage with him, and he told him all about Jesus. One person, one soul that God's concerned about feeding the bread of life. And then they come up on water and he says, well, what prevents me from being baptized? So they went down in the water and then Philip, Harpazzo, snatched away and delivered over and he's found in uh, 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 Caesarea and then goes down to Tarsus and then raises four prophetess daughters. And that's all you see about him. But he was prepared to rape them four daughters. I'm just telling you, that's, that's, that's what he was being prepared for. But right here, he's just being asked a question by Jesus. Because there's a multitude following. <coughs> What's the question, Greg? Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Here's this whole multitude coming to Jesus coming toward him it's a directional statement it's the motion of where they're going listen to me because this is very important because we see people coming to church today and everybody wants to feed them with physical bread everybody wants to put a soup kitchen out everybody wants to give them some clothes everybody wants to give them everything except the gospel the word of God the bread of life and this is what Jesus is testing his heart about. Look what the verse says in 6. But this he said. Remember, he said. That's his word. It goes out. 
He spoke to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Listen, everything is laid out and known by God. He already knows everything that he's going to do. He's sovereign in everything. But he asked a question of Philip to test him, to try him, to prove him, is what the King James says. He wants to prove his heart and how he's going to react to the needs of people. Are you going to look to the spiritual and give them the word of God? Or are you going to look to the physical and say, well, if I give them some food, they'll like us and come back. If we tickle their ears, they'll put money in the box. Or are you going to give them the truth? This is what God is testing us for. He's proving us right now. What are we handing out to people? What are we putting in our baskets? Is what we're going to see here in a minute. Everything in life, when you become a believer especially, is God testing your heart, proving your heart, burning out the dross, training you to live by faith and not by sight, training you not to make decisions based on what you have, but who you know. Because if he commands and calls you to do something, it's not about your ability, it's about his ability. All things are possible with God if you'll obey. You grieve the spirit, you quench the spirit, you insult the spirit, you lie to the spirit. You're going to be standing there in the flesh trying to figure out how to feed 5,000 people. When really there's probably 15,000, but I'm not sure. I digress. They only counted men in those days, so that's why the text says men. Listen to me. Where shall we buy? Notice, notice listen to me, the test. Not evil. Because God never tempts with evil, James tells us in 1, 13 and 14. But he will allow evil to come and tempt you. What? Well, that's what he did with the devil. He created the devil. He knew the devil had fallen. He knew the devil was in the garden. He was more subtle than uh, the serpent was. He knew the devil was going to come to Eve and tempt her to live by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. And he allowed it, even though he also knew that he gave her a head, Adam, who told her, don't do it. But Adam gets the blame because he wasn't loving her and protecting her and dying for her the way that Christ did for the church. But it was all a picture. It was all a type. It was so that Jesus could come and restore us that if our free will would choose God, he would give us the power and the ability to follow him as long as we don't decide to do it in our flesh. As long as we don't decide we can make it up and be a make-believer instead of a true believer is being led by the Spirit, for these are the children of God. So he suggests to him, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now God is concerned about your belly. He's concerned about your physical belly. He's concerned about you uh, and your physical needs. In fact, he said in Matthew 6.33 to him when he uh, was doing the uh, Mount Olivet Discourse, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his right living, his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. See, if you put the spiritual first, the physical will be taken care of. If you do the natural first, God will do the supernatural. So he, he's testing him. This he said to prove him 
to prove him, to test him. Because, see, we would all do the same thing that he did. Philip says this in verse 7, natural. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. What? Out of nowhere, he just says 200 denarii? No. Evidently, we know now that they had these 12 people. We know Judas was stealing out of the treasury, out of the money bag. He was the treasurer. So we know that they probably had 200 denarii. And he's thinking every bit of money that we have in the checkbook is not going to sufficiently take care of them. And the other text, the other three uh, gospels, it says, so send them away. Send them away. That was their conclusion. We don't have enough. Send them away before nightfall so that they can find some place to eat. Every one of us probably would have said the same thing if we're looking at the flesh, if we're looking at the natural, if we're walking by sight instead of by faith. We don't have enough. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Let's look at a couple places. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. You've been here. We go here a lot. It's one of my favorite chapters. I just told you you're in a wilderness. This is your wilderness. This is not our home. We're in a battleground. This is our wilderness. We're going through the wilderness. We're going to see the next text. Jesus already said we're going to the other side. If you're a true believer, you're going to the other side. You're, you're, all of us are appointed to die once, and then comes the judgment. Deuteronomy chapter 8, though, is the children of Israel in the wilderness. They're literally going through this. Now, this is a picture of our spiritual walk. It's in the physical. It actually happened. It's the tangible. It's written as examples for you and me, so we'll understand what the foundation is and what God is doing in the spiritual realm. And he says, every commandment which I commanded you today, you must be careful to obey that you may live and have life and multiply. Let's go make disciples and go in and possess, know your identity, the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Now listen, Jesus did this perfectly for us. Positionally, he obeyed every bit of it perfectly. So I have a position of it. So now I have to set my heart toward doing it in the flesh. Oh, no, 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 no. Just as I'm in this body, by the Spirit of God, the power of God. And look at verse 2. And you, listen, and you, personal, shall remember, that's a memorial, that's like taking communion, that the Lord died and rose again. Communion, your God led you, the children of God, led by the Spirit of God, Many as are led by Romans 8, 14. And you led you all the way, his way, these 40 years, number of judgment, in the wilderness. Why did he do it, Greg? To humble you. That's to change your character. Listen, change your character. Change your desires. Change your ways. What's humility? Humility, humility is not 
Oh, worry me. I'm never going to do anything in life because I'm so humble. I just don't even talk and I don't speak up. I don't do nothing. Moses, the humblest man in the Bible. Why? Because when he heard the word of God and was told by God, he obeyed God. When your will meets God's will, not my will, but thy will be done. That's humility. It's bowing down. That's how he changes your character. That's how he changes your mind. That's how he washes and cleanses you. That's how he transforms you by the renewing of the mind. Is when you want to do this. Self wants to do this. I have this American dream. I have this idea. And God says, no, I want you to go to Gaza. But wait a minute, Lord. There's so many people here being saved and I'm working in their lives. Go to Gaza. Yes, sir. I'm going, Lord, because I know your ways are best. I know your plans are best. I know you're proving and testing me. I know you're changing me into your image. And I have to get away from the safety net. I have to get away from the sight and, and walking by sight and the checkbook that has so much money in it. And I have to go out and live by faith and trust you that your voice has told me to go and that you know what's best for me and that you will wash and cleanse me. And you will shape my character for what you have for the future so that I'll trust in you. And I'll cross the finish line and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So he led them these 40 years, judgment for their sin, judgment for their flesh, to humble you and to prove you, King James. Test you and yours, prove you. Same word. Well, not the same word, but it's... Uh, I wrote it down. Here it is. It means to test, to prove, to try. You're put on trial. Listen, these are all words for a courtroom. I told you before, that's what we're doing. The will of God. We have an accuser, the devil, the accuser of the brethren. We have a lay advocate, Christ. We have a judgment we're going to go before. We have a gavel that's going to come down and declare us innocent or guilty. We're going to be cast into heaven or hell for eternity. These are all words. If you remember in 5, Jesus said, who will bring an indictment, an accusation against you? I won't accuse you, but Moses, you have one that will accuse you. Listen to me. These are all courtroom words because that's where all law comes from. So to prove you, why would you prove us, Lord, to know so that you would know what's in your heart? Why? Because it's the heart that matters most. It's the heart that he's after, the middle of us. It's our mind, will, and emotion. He's, he is working on our hearts. Well, what we need to know, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Christ did it for you. Now he takes you through the wilderness to change your desires so you'll learn his word and you'll desire to obey him, not for salvation, but because Christ has already given it to you freely. Verse 3, so he humbled you allowed you to hunger really when people are hungry god allowed it in the wilderness yeah and they grumbled and complained he fed you with manna we're getting ready to see a discourse in chapter six the rest of it, that jesus was the true bread that come down from heaven the bread of life manna means what is it which you did not know nor did your fathers know here it is that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread, physical bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. That's the verse that Jesus used to defend himself against Satan. And Satan had to flee him and come back at a more opportune time. 
And this is what God is doing with us in this courtroom. He wants to prove us. Something happens. It's painful. Something happens. Listen here. Listen here. It's good. You were exalted. You were promoted. But it's still testing and proving your heart. Whether you will begin to give your heart to it, what you were promoted to, or continue to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The man of God, the person of God, the child of God, being led by the Spirit of God, needs to hear the voice of God, build a relationship with God, and follow God, no matter whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And that's what it's proving. It's burning out. It's changing in your life. And God wants you to always obey the word, whether it's a, a, an exaltation, and you glory that you've got some uh, a million-dollar check, or whether you're broken, you're hungry, you still obey the word of God. You have $200 to buy bread. It's not enough, so send them away. Well, what do you do? You obey the voice of God. He tested his heart. He's proven his heart, right? He says, buy. This 200 is not enough to buy. Pennyworth is what it is, actually. Is that what it is? King James Pennyworth. Pence. A denarii, though, is a day's wage. You get that from the parable of the uh, workers in the field. A denarius is a whole day's wage. So they've got 200. They've got about three, three quarters of a year's worth of money in their bag. You can't buy enough bread for that. So he's proving him. He's testing him. How are you going to deal with this, Philip? We know you're fond in horses. Oh, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We know you're fond of your own strength, Philip. We know you love earthly power. We know we, you look. See, think about it. Horses and chariots are always about man's earthly power. So he goes straight to the 200 denarii. It's not sufficient. Christ is our sufficiency. Christ is our sufficiency. When you look at life, don't look at resources. I, I, I know I was blessed in my salvation to be raised in a place that taught the Word of God. And at an early age in, in Christ, I was handed the checkbook and became the administrator and the treasurer and, and handed the checkbook to the church. Not that we had any money. Maybe that's why they trusted me. Uh, here, you know, we didn't get any money anyway, so who cares? Uh, but to watch decisions being made, not about how much money was in the checkbook, but what God was calling us to do. And then to see the resources come in to take care of what God had called us to do, help me to understand that we obey his voice and not what we got. Help we go do what he tells us to do and not what we think we can do. Not what we can afford to do. It's by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. But if you walk by faith, you're going to see miracles. You're going to see signs. You're not going to have saving faith through signs and wonders, but you will definitely see them if you walk by faith because God is a God of miracles. Me standing here teaching the Word of God is a miracle. Getting out of the way, that's harder to do. So here they are putting their heads together because this is what we do too. We have a board meeting, which is the boringest thing in the world is a board meeting. And men put their heads together and they decide what they're going to do. Let's have a board meeting. Not enough money. 200 denarii won't do it. Send them away. We'll use that 200 to buy me a new sports car. Send them away. Oh, I'm teasing. 
we don't have enough money to do that, so we'll just be a little church, and we'll just do a little bit of work. That's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to go to all nations. Well, I can't do that. I only have 200 denarii. Wake up, people. Faith is much bigger than this. Faith is obeying God's voice. Faith is knowing his word and following and being led by his spirit, not looking at the resources of this world, not looking at what they're doing, not doing church with businesses and budgets and buildings and a whole bunch of, uh, of men that, that think they have some intelligence and some PhDs and earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. What was our memory verse? 1 Corinthians 3.18 Let no one deceive himself Cause himself to roam from safety and to go astray because you're following flesh. If anyone seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. Because you want the wisdom of God. So if you do it the way, if you build church, if you live church, if you're living your Christian walk the way the world is doing it, that's earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's where faith comes from. By hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's nothing more than a carnal church with fighting and envy and strife, and biting and devouring when we build a church by sight. So here they go. They put their heads together. They listen, these are the disciples, the apostles. This is the A team, not the B team. They're putting their heads together. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Andrew means manly. Yeah, there's some more strength. Philip, on the horses, his own strength, chariots. Andrew means manly. Simon Peter, rock or stone, said to him, verse 9, think about it, if 8 is new beginning, here's their new beginning. 200 denarii isn't going to work, so let's get a new beginning. There is a lad here, small boy, got him in sack lunch, who has five barley loaves. Now, now, this is not like a loaf of bread, wonder bread. A barley loaf is more like a hamburger bun or something that you would see. It's a small loaf and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Listen, again, if you get your eyes on self and you say, well, I only have $200. I only have a widow's might. I only have. I can only do. I am so weak. I can only be. What is what is my, I, I'm not going to go to church. What is me filling one seat? It's a lot of encouragement to me. It's a lot of encouragement to me when I see you here. It's encouragement for others. That's what the Bible tells us to do. To not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which is the manner of some. But encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. What, encourage them to do what? Love and good deeds. So when you come, it's for somebody else. It's not really always for you. There might be somebody that sits here that says, I can't wait to see so-and-so so I can ask them, so I can talk to them. So when I see them, they encourage me. We're not just doing it for self. When we wake up in the morning or Saturday night when I lay my clothes out, when you're thinking about church, 
You don't go, oh, I don't feel good this morning. Really? Well, you can not feel good at church the same way you can not feel good at home. I'm not picking on you. I'm not trying to stir up church attendance. I'm trying to tell you not to listen to your flesh. Your flesh will leave you in a ditch. The Spirit wants to train you, teach you, prove you, and burn out the flesh. But the flesh is what's dragging you down. Your own resources is what's killing you. Your sin nature is putting you in hell. And you need to be listening to the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and obeying even when it hurts. Listen, my back hurts all the time. My knee hurts all the time. But I can stay at home. I think that's why God made me a pastor. He's like, I don't care what hurts. Get, to, get up in there and teach. And he doesn't say it in a mean way. I might like that sometimes bring it across like that. He says it in a loving way. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean. You miss what you need to hear for the equipping of the saints. When you make up something in your flesh, why not to be in encouraging one another? Why not to be in fellowship? Why not to be there? We're a body. And if you have no arms, you can't do knock-knock jokes. Right, honey? You got no arms. You can't knock. Listen, that's what happens with the church a lot of times. People will show up and then the other people just stay home and half the body's at home. Half the body's doing what they wanted to do and sin and self and self. You know, and, and you know what? You might have a great excuse, but there's still excuses. Every excuse is still an excuse. I'm not trying to legalize or legislate holiness. But I believe that, that the prayer meeting... The church meeting, these are the most important things of my life. Not just for me, but for you. And when we're not putting them in our schedule, and anything and everything becomes more of a performance that I get to go watch than going to church and learning about Christ, becoming intimate with God, when I do that, I'm killing myself. But I'm also being proved by God because he's testing me. Does it take anything like sorting my socks to stay home? He's testing me. Does it take anything? What does it take? What will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Think about it. He's proving us. He's testing us. He's trying us. Then we put our heads together and we come up with other ways to kill ourselves. If it's not the word of God. What are they among so many? All we have is five barley loaves and two small fish. We can't do nothing. Let's stay home. But what happened in verse 10? Perfect completion. Then Jesus said, the word of God, the voice of God. Seven and three together, perfect completion. Then Jesus said, make the people set down. Now there was much grass in the place. What's he going to do, feed them grass? So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Listen to me. Make, make, ooh, where's that at? Make the people set down. It, it means to cause. It's make the men set down. Make or do. But listen to this. I want you to understand what make is. Psalms 23. 
he makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's what this is, green grass, lots of it. He makes me. You go back and look it up in the Hebrew, it's because of his goodness that, that it just makes me want to set down so that he can feed me. It's not a make like force, because there's no force with God. He's inviting you to his table. He's inviting you to be fed with the bread of life. And there's plenty of grass. He makes me as a sheep to lie down in green pastures. It's because I delight in him. I see he's got something good for me. And it just makes me want to settle down and go, yes, Lord. Even when it hurts, I want to sit down and go, I know you're doing something on the other side of this. That's what makes means. He makes me want to sit down and be fed by him because his word is that good. Hearing his voice is that amazing. It gives me life. So what did they do? They obeyed. The men sat down in number, about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, little bitty barley loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those who set him down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Listen to me. As much as you wanted. Everybody. But what did he do? He prayed. He prayed first. He gave thanks first. Eucharisto. He prayed over them. And then when he began to hand it out, it was enough for everybody to eat as much as they wanted. But get this. Notice what's going on with the disciples. Jesus spoke. We had plans. 200 denarii. Let's put our heads together. Five barley loaves, some fish. Ah, send them away. What's that among these people? Now God's word speaks. The living word. The bread of life speaks. And people want to sit down. They obeyed him by faith. They couldn't see what he was getting ready to do. But they obeyed by faith and everybody was satiated. Everybody was satisfied. It says filled. That's the word for gluttoned. They were full. They had everything they wanted. But what, how'd they happen? Prayer. It come from heaven. Must be born from above. Must come from above. Jesus come from above. Everything has to start with that prayer. And then God blessed it. He does a miracle. But what did they do? They obeyed the voice of God by faith. I think one of the texts even says settled down in 50s. Um, you know, in groups of 50s. Because big church, all the, the evil of the earth comes in flocks and, and hides in its branches. Remember the mustard seed parable? 50s. Good size for a church. Good size for a good Bible study. There's not a lot of confusion. You can even watch the the sins, as you look at them, everybody can see it. can't hide it. It can be personal. You can know about what's going on. Isn't that where we're seated at? Everybody that's positionally placed, they're seated, right? All of these people look like they're sitting, sitting down, they're obeying. They're getting a hand out, but are they getting a hand up? They're getting fed with the food bank, but are they learning anything about God? We're going to see in our next couple texts that they actually don't commit. All they do is get their belly full, and they go away and live their own life, and they go to hell. Hopefully they came back later. Because as long as you got breath, you can come back. You can come to your senses. 
You can stop eating the pods of the pig fields like the prodigal son. Notice this. Jesus put them in his hands. And he is breaking us. He's the one that breaks. He's the one that takes. He's the one. We're in his hands. And then he distributes to those that are obeying, the disciples that are coming to him, and then they take what they get from him, and they go out and give it to others that they're serving. They wanted to send them away and have fun and pretend, and he said, no, you're going to become table waiters. You're going to become servants. You're going to go out and instruct them, and when they obey, they'll sit down and they'll be filled, but I'm going to give it to you. It has to come from him. Think about it in our communion text. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for me. Listen, Paul's not handing out anything. The pattern is followed throughout the church. You don't hand out your own plans, your own programs, your own religion. Or you end up with apostasy, culturanity, debt all over, warmed up, looking differently, like you're alive when you're really not. But you come to Jesus, just like they did. They had to go out and go, okay, let me give them what I got. Oh, I got, oh, I ain't got anything else. Because if you keep giving when you don't have anything else, you're giving of yourself and not of Christ. So they had to go back again. And that's why we stay in the word of God. We keep coming to the word of God. Daily walk. We keep coming and being handed out. He gives us to us the fruit of the spirit. He gives us the power. He gives us the ability. He gives us the bread of life. He gives us his. He uncovers it. His life. And then we're supposed to be equipped right now to go out and do the work of the ministry and serve others and hand out what he's given us. But we've got it upside downward in the church. We think it's a performance. We think it's entertaining. We think we go and sit in the pews and somebody speaks for a while and if the base is out of the tomb, we don't go back to that church anymore. And then we walk off and we're okay because somebody preached to us and we heard the word of God. We don't go out and put our hands to the task. We don't go out and give what we got to others and serve them so that their souls can be saved. See, that's what's going on here. That's what the miracle is in feeding the 5,000. And that's why there's also uh, the, the, the unknown number where women and children aren't counted. Some of them might have had three children. And they got a wife and they might have had a concubine. Who knows who all's following? How many people? Some have said 15, maybe 20,000 people. I told you it was a little bitty hamburger bunch. Who cares? If it was full loaves of bread, it wouldn't be enough for this many people. Today's seminaries will teach you that they had a cave behind Jesus and the cave was full of bread. And they had already went out there and filled it up with bread and fish. And all they were doing was Jesus was sitting there and they handed it to him and threw his cloak. They teach stupid stuff like that. And they teach away the miracle. That's why we call them cemeteries instead of seminaries. All of them have officially turned against Israel too. Listen. 
You have nothing to give unless you meet with Jesus in the word, prayer, and fellowship. You have nothing to give anybody if it's not the testimony of Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. You give them all the money you got, 200 denarii. Give them all your year's wages, 70, 80, whatever you make, $100,000. What do you do? You send them to hell. You haven't given them life. You gave them death. You gave them what the world has. You cannot build with gold or silver, wood, hay, or stubble. You cannot build with physical things when we're talking about the spiritual realm. The only thing you can do is kill. You can prop them up to where they think they don't need Jesus. It happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. It happened to America. It's happening as you stand here. We're being proved the fruit from the root of this nation. Just the truth. I ain't giving you anything but truth. But now they want you to follow man. Who are you following? Who are you listening to? Who are you sitting down with? Where are you receiving? What are you putting in your basket to hand out to others? Basket? Yeah, look. Verse 12, so when they were filled, when they were gluttoned, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. None lost but the son of perdition. Listen to me. Gather up the fragments so that nothing is lost. Therefore they, his disciples, those listening to his voice and obeying his commands, oh, that wasn't in there, that was commentary, gathered them up and filled different word for filled, 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Notice they didn't pick up no fish. Just barley loaves. That's all that was put in, bread. That's what this is about, bread. Either we're going to eat physical bread or we're going to be proved and learn that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is going to be a discourse about the bread of life that come down from heaven. Twelve baskets filled. Listen, he told them to gather. What does he say over there in uh, Matthew 11.30? I think I got it somewhere. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. 12.30 of Matthew. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Are you about gathering souls, gathering the remnant, gathering fragments, obeying the voice of God? Well, why is there 12 baskets full? Because each of the disciples now have a basket to gather with. Each of the disciples have something, and that's probably what was going on. They had a basket, and they were coming to him, and he was breaking the bread and putting it in the basket, and they were taking it back out like little serving trays. I don't know. I wasn't there. But now you have a basket. Is it your heart? I don't know. But what are you handing out? Where did you get it at? Did you read it in a commentary? Did you find it at the throne room where you can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need? Where did you get what you're giving to other people? Was it on a soap opera? Was it on Sunday afternoon at the football game? 
Where did you get the words of life at that you're giving people? What's in your basket? Listen, we live in an apostate, Revelation 3. Apostate, dead, go to Revelation 3. Laodicean, that's the last church age, if you look at it in that sense. They can all have existed all throughout the church age. But I believe we are in the Laodicean. It's chapter 3, just before chapter 4. What a profound statement. Chapter 4 is the rapture of the church. Chapter 3 is written to the church at Laodicea. This is the verse that I got saved from. Well, the one that brought me back to Christ was the millstone because of my wife. Better than a millstone be tied around your neck and cast in the ocean than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. But the verse I got saved from was when I met Jesus and a, and, a, and a convicted murderer shared Christ with me in jail, I began to believe that I was a believer, but then I seen this verse and go, whoa! Where he says, I know thy works, that they are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm and not hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm not really ready to be hot, so can I just kind of leave and I'll come back whenever I'm ready. And I know now I couldn't really make that deal. And he was proving me all the way through the time until I actually came back to him. He was actually proving me and teaching me, testing me and trying me, wooing me. But this is the Laodicean church. They're lukewarm. They're not hot. And he spews out that which is not hot. It's good for nothing when it's lukewarm. Let's just read it, 14, and we'll, we'll close with... Well, i got a couple more verses back in the text, so we'll get supper before we close. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, the messenger, Laodiceans, listen, it means ruled by the people. What do the people want? Well, let's take a poll. Let's take a survey. Let's go ask them. Doesn't that sound like psychology? I'm really feeling bad. Oh, you're really feeling bad. And you ask the people. You talk to the people and say what they're saying. Sorry, that's just where we're at. Laodiceans, ruled by the people. It's the emergent church. It's the new church. It's a church that tickles your ears. It has no power. These things say the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. 200 denarii is not enough. Because you say, I am rich, notice it's an I, that's ease God out, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, that's a self-sufficient church, a self-sufficient person, a self-sufficient, I'll go to church if I want to. I'll listen to his voice if I decide to. Don't judge me, man. Verse 18, I counsel you. This is what God counsels us. To buy. Not take your two to hundred denarii and try to buy food to feed people, but to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Gold is, uh, represents God. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's God-likeness. 
that you may be rich. If anyone seems to be wise according to this age, let him become a fool that he may truly be wise. And white garments clothed in Christ that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. We were afraid we hid ourselves because we were naked. Christ takes away that shame. Clothed in Christ's likeness takes away that shame. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Or oil. The Holy Spirit gives you eyes to see and to hear what God would say to the church. As many as I love, I rebuke, I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I prove, I try. And then he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is what God is saying to his church today. I counsel you to buy from him. Come to him. Hear his voice if you want to feed others. Go distribute to what you hear from him. Oh, no, we're okay. We said a prayer once. We're okay. We're doing our own thing, but, you know, I'm sorting my socks, but I'm okay. Listen, it is not about this church. It is not about this meeting right here, other than the fact that God has ordained this meeting and he has called this church. It's about you hearing the voice of God and being proved by God and trusting God and learning to obey God and follow God. And you find the body of Christ that you're called to be in and you go in and you commit to it and you be a part of it and you use your talents and abilities to go out and tell others that they're going to go to hell if they don't. Choose Jesus. And that's the goodness of God. That he would come and warn us. He didn't have to come and warn us. He could have left us where we were at. But he loves us. And he became flesh. So that we would understand that there's a spiritual realm. And stop living in the flesh. Walking in the flesh. Because if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're looking to do the work of the Spirit, you will not be doing the work of the flesh. If you're having a relationship with the Spirit, God is Spirit. You'll be living by faith. Be zealous and repent. Change your mind. Change your mind and open the door and let Him in. And know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And there's absolutely nothing you can do on your own. But if you abide in the vine, you can bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. He's knocking. Now listen, what did he say? And if you hear my voice. He didn't say if you hear the rap of my knuckles, if you hear my new doorbell. He's knocking. And he's knocking with his word. He's knocking with his voice. He's knocking with what he's saying to us. His commands. He's knocking with the Old Testament Moses said. He's knocking. He said, if you believe Moses, he's knocking. He's saying, all of my word, 66 books by 40 authors. If you will hear them and obey, you can have a meal with him. Fellowship dinner. Dine with him. To him who overcomes, I will grant to set with me. Where did he do? He came and sat down with them. 
And now you get to go up there and set with him to those who overcome. How do you do it? By taking his counsel and buying from him. That's the only place to get it at. He is distributed. He's the one that is descended and he will ascend or did ascend and will be coming back soon. On his throne, we get to be joint heirs with him and rule and reign with him as his bride. As he, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. All authority has been given to them in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey, not for salvation, but because of salvation. Obey his commandments, obey his voice. Be proved, be washed and cleansed. And as he proves you, as he tries you, as he's washing and cleansing you, listen, it changes your desires. It transforms your mind. It causes you to be like him and be concerned about souls. But as long as you feed the flesh, I, I can give you this one, and we'll go back to our text and close. Uh, 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 an evangelist used to teach this all the time and said this old man used to come down on Friday nights. I know it's not politically correct, neither am I. And he'd fight the pit bull dogs on Friday night. And then every Friday night, that old dude would go back to his house counting the money because he'd win every time. And the people got so frustrated, they said, how come, how do you know which dog is going to win every single week? And he said, it's pretty simple. It's which one I feed the most. It's the strongest. Are you feeding your spirit or are you feeding your flesh? That's the dog that's going to win. What dog you got in the game? What are you talking about? Remember, Caleb means dog. Caleb got to go into the promised land. Caleb means dog. He was worshiping God. He was trusting in God. He said, I hear the voice of God. He said, go in and take the land. But all you other people, you didn't want to take it. The narrow way is listening to the voice of God. The broad way is continuing in your sin and not repenting. Back in our text, let's close out. Twelve baskets. What's in your basket? What fragments are you picking up? What are you gathering? What are you distributing? What are you handing out to a dead and dying world? Where did you get it at? Did you get it from man or did you get it from God? I believe the 12 baskets become a rebuke. It becomes chastisement. It becomes proving. It becomes trying. But it builds into faith because they listen to the voice of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And later they can trust him even more because they seen this. They were involved in it. They were privileged to be a part of it. And it increases their faith. Then those men, 14 who had seen the sign that Jesus did, said. Notice it's not his disciples. It's those that have been falsely taught that Jesus was going to come and be set up as king. They were falsely taught by the false leaders and the ruling authorities, that, and they spiritualized all of his suffering, all of his death, all of the cross. They spiritualized it when it was actually going to happen in reality. The men that seen the sign, that are, that are the followers that were not going to commit to him, and they don't later commit to him because he didn't do what they wanted. Oh, excuse me. That was verse 15. 
Then those who had seen the sign that Jesus did perform said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. I apologize. That was good testimony. I apologize. I had got on 15 too quick. Uh, Deuteronomy 18.15, when Moses said, If you believe Moses, you'll believe my words. Your God shall raise up a prophet for you like me. And if you listen to his voice and hear him, you'll be you have life. But if not, you'll be utterly destroyed. I paraphrase that. Let's just look at it in Acts 3. So we don't have to go all the way to Deuteronomy, where we might not know where it's at. But Acts 3, this is the verse that Peter shares um, after they heal a lame man. 3.22, For Moses truly said to the fathers, it's quoting Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear, faith comes by hearing, in all things, how much is all? Whatever he says to you, spoken word, and it shall be that every soul, every heart, who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. This is the verse I like to share with Muslims when they say that Jesus was a prophet. I like to share this verse with them. And then tell them, Allah has no son. They don't like that very much. Because it's not the same Jesus that they're talking about. Be for sure in that. So, this is what they're talking about. They're going, surely this is. Truly this is. This must be the prophet. This must be the Messiah. Therefore, verse 15, sometimes it's in a different, it's moved down with 16 in some of your Bibles, but it actually should be in this. When Jesus perceived, Jesus knew by the power of the Holy Spirit that they were about to come and take him by force. Notice Jesus just speaks. He never uses force. The men of the world, they want to take you by force. They want to make you follow them. They want to say, I'm the pastor. You do what I tell you to do. This is what we do in our denomination or you're kicked out. Listen, this is what men does. This is what a physical ministry and religion does. We're talking about a relationship. You can be led by the spirit. Force. They were going to make him king because they were falsely taught that that's what he was coming for. And he would sit on... Uh, uh, David's throne and it would be like all roads leading to uh, uh, Israel again which is going to happen but that's the millennial kingdom he departed again to the mountain by himself alone what did the other three texts say he went back to the mountain to pray he was alone a solitary life went alone to pray why does God in, in flesh have to go pray? Because what he is doing is led by the Spirit of God. He's an example for you and me. So he's praying. Well, how do we know? And why would he go there and talk to himself? Listen to me. He's praying. Because he's 100% flesh. 100% man. And he needs the power of the Holy Spirit to do everything that he's doing, where he perfectly obeys. He learns obedience by the things that he does. He was being proved also. What? Well, the evidence is the resurrection. He was proved to be perfect. 
by the resurrection. You and I, in the proof, the final proof, we rise in the resurrection also. You don't want to find it out when that happens. You want to know it now. You want to be asking God for the desire to follow him. This we will do. Hebrews 6 says, if God grant us. God's the one that gives us saving grace, keeping grace, following grace. It's all him. It's not us. We don't do it for a little bit and then go, I got this figured out. I think I'll do it now. And I'll just write a check and I won't have to go to church. I wish you knew how many customers I see that send their tie check and haven't been to church in years. And they think they're okay because they're a member of a church. Do you have a relationship with God if you think that? You don't know the word of God if you think that. If you think tithing will get you to heaven, you got a problem. Tithing ain't going to get you to heaven. You can give all 200 denarii, whatever you want to give. You can't make Jesus king. He is a king, whether you believe it or not. You can't force him to be king. You can come and believe in him and surrender to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And the proof will be in what you pursue afterwards, who you're following next, where you're going, what you're putting in your basket, what you're carrying around with you, what you're handing out to others in your conduct. Are you gathering with Christ or are you scattering? Are you concerned about souls? Because that's what the Holy Spirit is for today. Father, thank you. Thank you for the feeding of 5,000. That's what your word says. So there could have been more, but we know 5,000 was great enough. Uh, but there's an innumerable amount of saints. But you know the hairs on our head. And yet you're still just concerned with one. Me. So, Lord, help me to listen. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to go and hand out that which I've received from you and to trust you and to know that I can follow your counsel and that I don't have to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. May we be concerned with the salvation of souls. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and take the chosen home. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?